Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money, and welcome. All right, let's see. What's the plan here today? Oh, yes. First of all, my co-host, sidekick, son-in-law, and business partner, Kirk Reed, is uh, with me this morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. And, uh, folks, the show is... I've, the last two or three shows I've done has been fun, so I'm going to do another one, just like it today. So I do a lot of reading in the financial media world and sometimes see some pretty good articles and sometimes see some pretty dumb articles. And it, that would make good kind of fodder for a radio discussion. So basically, I'm going to... We're going to bat around a, a number of topics, all financially related, okay, obviously, today. And we'll give you our two cents worth on our opinions about good, bad, or ugly in terms of how they work or don't work or what the, the purposes behind them are or whatever, okay? And there's just the topics are jump all over the place, which is really cool. So there's not one particular topic this morning. There's going to be a whole bunch of mini discussions on a whole bunch of numerous financial to- topics that... People, the more topics we discuss, the more it might be meaningful for the people who are listening as the plan here, I think. Are we taking callers today? We'd love to. We're live in Marshfield today. We'll try to spout that out every once in a while. Big, Some big radio news coming up in the next couple of months. Go show, but we'll keep that secret. Oh. We'll go a little further on okay. here. Yeah, just want to make sure we get that firm before we get going here. Okay. But this great show, which has been on for 32 years, is going to get even better with a couple of cool things going on. Mm. That's the short story. Anyway, all right. And the fun part about this is my show to come up with the work and Kirk's show to just sit back and relax and sound smart once in a while sort of a thing. So I'm relaxed. Are you prepared? I'm relaxed. Okay. I got that part covered. <laughs> Check. <laughs> uh, and so... The, the, Sounding smart, that's all, that's yeah, subjective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I understand. And he's drinking the smart fuel, and so that is, helps. There you, yeah. there you go. So anyway, and the it's much more fun... If you don't, we like to be surprised about stuff. When we get callers on the radio, it's fun because you never know what the topic's going to be. A thing, and so and sometimes yeah. it has absolutely nothing to do with anything yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah, I that's, understand. That's even more fun. Yeah, when you do the topic show for the show, I just say I'm going to show up and let's have fun. And this is what's going on today here. So Kirk hasn't had a clue about what I'm going to talk about, and that that makes it fun in our business thing. So anyway, okay. So the first article I'm going to run some commentary on here, and I think I'll read a little bit. And then we'll bat it around and see where we go from there. So this is an article from Yahoo Finance, and it was May 20th, May 30th of this year. A lady by the name of Dawn Alicott. And the, the article's title is Three Retirement Rules You Should Follow and Why You Should Forget the 4% Rule. Mm. Okay. okay. So we've already got a lot of stuff to chat about here. But let me read the first couple of paragraphs to kind of set the stage here, and then we'll kind of go from there. Have you ever heard of the 4% rule for retirement? You may have heard financial experts say that you should draw 4% of your total portfolio in your first year for retirement spending. 
After that, you can adjust withdrawals based on cost of living increases. If inflation increases living costs by 2%, next year you should withdraw 4.08%. That's 2% more than last year, basically. Okay, that's making sense so far. Theoretically, this pattern would give you enough money for a 30-year retirement. One of the things we have, we'll get to talking about is what's your money invested in while you're taking out 4% of it? If it's under the mattress, I'm not sure how long it's going to last, n- nor if it's wild and woolly stocks, I'm not so, sure so how it's going to last. The article out. doesn't say? Yeah, yeah. So we're not going to necessarily get into that, but yeah, it, it's a, it, it wasn't a rule. It was a proposal that came up by a very bright financial advisor, and it works, but like anything else, nothing's perfect, and who knows the thing. But anyway, theoretically, following this pattern would give you enough money for a 30-year retirement. However, as people live longer, 30 years worth of savings might not be enough for a comfortable retirement. And as you age, your costs for things like travel may go down while healthcare costs will rise. Following the rigid 4% rule doesn't leave flexibility. Sometimes I wonder about the qualifications of some of these (laughs) writers, but moving right along. Let's see, I'm sorry, where was I? I got carried away. Yeah, following a 4% rule doesn't leave flexibility for lifestyle changes, okay, yeah, or fluctuations in the market. I hope they planned for that, but we can leave that alone. Investment firm Schwab.com points out in an article about the 4% rule, that the calculations are based on a very specific type of portfolio, thank you, one that is a mix of 50% stocks and 50% bonds and is based on historical market returns. Unfortunately, not future market Mm -hmm. returns. Do they give a number or not? Nope. Okay. Returns for stocks and bonds over the last, over the next decade are likely to fall below those of long-term averages, according to Charles Schwab Investment Advisory. Now we're in the guest territory here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Instead, experts, I'm not sure, maybe we'll get some names, suggest customizing your retirement plan and spending, okay, and by the way, uh, and, and sp- yeah, customizing your retirement plan and spending. MSN.com recommends three new retirement rules to follow, all right? Follow the 2% rule for a long retirement. If you are retiring early or if you are living a healthy lifestyle and have a history of longevity in your family, you may want to make retirement withdrawals more conservatively. Experts recommend beginning your first year by withdrawing 2% of the portfolio to ensure your portfolio will last. Schwab also suggests considering how much security and peace of mind is important to you. We save for retirement so that we don't have to worry about being able to live comfortably in our later years. If you have other sources of income besides social security, to draw from, or if you are willing to reduce spending in retirement if necessary, you can spend more money early on. Okay, so anyway, so we've got the 3%, the 2% rule. And then, by the way, Schwab recommends targeting 75 to 90% confidence level as a safe balance between overspending and underspending. That confidence level, that could be like five shows. We'll get to that. Yeah, I'd like to know what that how that breaks out. Now. All right, so far we're at the 
there's supposed to be a rule that says 4% is magic. The answer in our business, like a lot of businesses, is that depends. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it, it works for a lot of situations and circumstances depending on a lot of things. How's that for being fuzzy? Okay. Yeah, if you're going to withdraw 2% as opposed to 4 sounds like it'll probably last longer. Okay, I get that. Commentary later. <laughs> Next, follow the 3% rule. For an average retirement. Okay. Okay. If you are fairly confident you won't run out of money, begin by withdrawing 3% of your portfolio annually. Adjust based on inflation, but keep an eye on the market as well. Okay. All right. Let's see. And then the last, the, so the third one, instead of bag the 4%, you do 2%, 3%, or... You prepare to adjust your withdrawals based on market returns. All right. The final rule isn't a rule at all, but a reminder to be flexible. The guidelines above can help you, can give you a good idea of how much you'll need to save for retirement, but ultimately, how much you withdraw from each year for retirement will balance between will be a balance between how much you need and how much can you afford. You may need to withdraw less some years simply because of the market's behavior and the stability of your portfolio. Experts recommend reevaluating re your withdrawals and living expenses annually after any significant life changes. Yada yada yada. Okay, you go first. What do you want to tee off on first? <laughs> Maybe just because the last thing you said about life changes. Yeah, yeah. Life changes are in inevitable. And that's one of the things we see all the time, right? So yeah, you make a plan for, yeah, you're going to take, here's your projected expenses. And we can do some math on how they're going to get bigger over time with inflation, yeah. which again, varies from year to year. Try to pick an average that you think is reasonable. But then somebody needs a car. Somebody needs to help out their son or daughter. Some medical, something pops up that's not part of that two, three, four percent. Yep. And now that changes the math entirely. Yep. And so it's, it's not nice to have a, a plan or a rule of thumb, but you have to also account for things that you just, you can't account for. Yeah. And that's life. And that's why you need to reevaluate every year is because things are going to happen and change. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So th there's about 27 things I'd like to pick apart. We won't take too long. So yeah, the, that percentage, it, it depends somewhat on what your portfolio is vested in and how it works. Just, and I'll be extreme. If you had it under the mattress and with, were withdrawing 4%, I'm no, not sure how long that lasts. I guess you could quite easily calculate you if you're that. You that, do that. Right? Yeah. There's, folks usually have some mixture of stocks or bonds in there, and the expected or hoped for return that they might be planning on, that kind of differs with those mixtures. So any of those rules, that, I guess the first thing is it depends on what you're invested in to begin with for, for starters. An article like this, it's it's not inaccurate, okay, but it's really big picture, and it doesn't get into anything, okay, for qualifications or what might not work. I, I, it's just too generic, and I worry sometimes that people just read those numbers and say, oh, I can do it, the thing. So that's, that's one thing. Okay, the, probably the biggest reaction I had when I saw this is, let's see, 4%, okay, so people have income in social security or a pension that's their guaranteed income and then they need to take money out of their portfolio and that money is so much per year so how many people that, that are listening to us can live on four percent of their portfolio okay yeah it's, it's pretty easy to do the math yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and see what that uh, number is. Let's see if you got $500,000 in retirement and you want to live on 4%, that's 20 grand a year. If you need 30, that that's not an issue. Okay. And if you think about that, and every, there's all sorts of people out there, we always hear some of these articles that we yeah. read talk about national averages for savings and 401k balances. And, and a lot of times it's it sounds like there's not a lot of savings out there. Um, <laughs> well, I got a good one on that. Okay. We'll All right. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so if, you know, if, if X percent of a relatively small number, yeah. Yeah. You, if you do the math and say, oh, that's not enough, then that either means that you're working longer, right? Or you're, you're, or you're running the risk of running out of money. Well, that 4% got shot to heck. Well, the 4% uh, but... is now 10% or, <laughs> yeah. or 15% or whatever. Yeah. So I guess the question is, is your money generating that 4% that you can live on? Great. But let's use the $500,000 example just as a minute. Let's see. If you were going to follow the 4% rule and be happy, okay, you could take out twenty grand. If you're going to follow the 2% rule, mm. okay, right, what am I missing? It, 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 that, that's $10,000. Mm. Okay. So you know, I, I guess where I'm going with this is that the average person who builds up retirement assets can't live just on the dividends or interest f from that portfolio. Okay, right now, I'm, I'll make a guess. This, don't hold me to this, folks, but I'm just doing a, an, an example. If you had a 60% stock and a 40% bond portfolio, by the way, we have a few of these in our business. If you look at all the stocks and bonds that are in there, the dividends and the interest that are fairly dependable from stocks and bonds. Where are we two and a half, three, say, three now? I would say two, two and a half percent two is a good rough target. Uh, yep. Yeah, so let's say that your portfolio is actually generating in real income two and a half percent. If, wait a minute, what happened to the 4% rule? The 4% rule assumes that you have to tap some of your portfolio growth in that mixture. So where I'm, the big picture is there's a pretty small percentage of people listening to us now who have a pot of money where they could, regardless of how it's invested, okay, who could just live on the interest and the dividends on their stocks and bonds. Now, today interest rates are 4 or 5%, and somebody might say, I put all my money in a CD at 5%, I'm good. Yeah, what's the rate next year? What's the rate for your rest of your life? It was the thing. But the, the really, the, the big takeaway is that if you're going to live on 2%, then you're just living on your dividends and interest. Okay, we work with a lot of motivated people in our practice who've been saving like banshees and working hard all their lives to make retirement happen. And what percentage of them can live just on the dividends and interest of their portfolios? And the answer is... Uh, very low. Yeah, pretty few. Yeah. And we like to think we have a relatively select clientele. There are people who are worried about their money. So a lot of people who don't pay too much attention or don't know about it... I. Two and a half percent's the number, okay, if you're planning on just living on your interest. Wait a minute, what about my capital? We, so now you get into that, you know, that $500,000 at two and a half percent, what's that, 12,000? 12,500, yeah. 12,500, yeah. okay. So I, let's see, I'm going to withdraw two and a half percent from my $500,000 portfolio, that's 12,500. I need 20, okay? Then if you start taking more than that, which is okay, you're tapping into your capital, and people never like to think about that. My point is that most folks who take money out of retirement are spending some combination of dividends, interest, and hoped for growth in their portfolio that actually happened right. and or that will happen, the thing. So 
man cannot live by bread alone. Most investors cannot live by interest and dividends alone. Right. You need to have, and that's because of what they need from their retirement plan. They're, let's put it this way. Their expenses don't match up. What they need to take from their retirement plans to cover expenses doesn't match up with 2.5%. Of the people on the planet, if that's more than 5% of the people that do that, I'd be amazed. It's probably a lot less. What, what do you think about that? I was just thinking about, I've, I've had people say to me, when we go through this exercise and then they're like, just tell me how much I can take. Or yeah. t- tell me how much I can have yeah. and, and it's going to make my money last. Yeah. And we can do that and make some good guesses about that. But it often means changing their lifestyle <laughs> fairly dramatically. Or changing from, their portfolio. From what, maybe <laughs> yeah. from what they've been used to. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. if you're truly willing to do that's one thing. But I, I feel like in reality, that's a tougher, that's a tough change to make, to, to downshift your income substantially just to make your money last. Is that how you want to spend retirement? No, yeah. Thank you. I was going to yeah. hop up to that event. People in retirement, the plan wasn't to look every year what my expenses are and cut. Who wants to cut their expenses? You want to enjoy retirement, no, right? No, yeah. no, yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to cut their expenses. Okay. Right. Let me try an example that that's hopefully I can make the point. So let's assume... You have a 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio. By the way, our professional guests, don't hold us to this, is well, think over the long run, maybe you can earn between 5 and, five and 7% a year, long term. So let's just use 6 as a number. Okay. okay. So your portfolio, which is a 60% stock, 40% bond strategy, okay, it'll hopefully earn 6%. And by the way, we'll split that in half, 3% of that from dividends and interest and 3% is growth. Folks, here's how it looks. If you're taking any less than 3% out of your portfolio, you could do that forever, okay, pretty much, and your capital wouldn't shrink. Okay, every time you step over that dividends, over that 3%, you're tapping part of your investment mm-hmm. capital and taking more than just get dividends and interest. That's not bad or good necessarily, but that's what's happening given the circumstances. And it, so that's okay. The higher that number gets to 6%, the more your chances of not getting it increased to whatever the heck they are. Okay, Pe- people need to understand that. Okay, people cannot most people on the planet cannot possibly save enough money towards retirement to sit back today and take money out at two or two and a half percent and live happily after. No, I'm sorry. It's just not where the world is, that's, folks. That's very far and few between. Yeah. Okay. And so if that's the case, then you have to start thinking about how are we doing this? And we're doing it. If you're over that 3% number, you're tapping into some of your portfolio's growth that has happened and you may be tapping into some of it that's going forward. That Every year, that can change a bit based on that piece sort of thing. Not good or bad, but people have to understand that. And if you're if you're taking six out of that portfolio, I'm taking six. You're right on the Mendoza line there <laughs> in, in terms of I'm taking everything it could potentially earn a thing. That's a more scary place to be than taking three. Okay, and again, this is real generic, but I think you get the idea about that, folks. It's but then yeah, the I think the balancing act is is us showing what that looks like and, yeah. and what that can do to your long-term health, financial health. Yeah. And people say, I want to enjoy these earlier years of retirement, even if that means perhaps sacrificing down the road, that's what they're willing to do. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's that whole, I want to enjoy retirement. Yeah. Yeah. And following these rules are great. They're great, good rules of thumb. But in reality, it's Most very tough. people t- don't have the wherewithal yeah, to understand. Very tough to do, yeah. yeah. Exactly, okay. Yeah, and to your point about 
shrinking. Oh, yeah, let's see. The, I love some of the academic articles I read in some of the magazines. All you have to do is, to make your retirement last, you have to cut your retirement expenses by 6% next year. People are going to look at you like you got three eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay, what? I'm going to cut. So people don't do that sort of a thing unless they absolutely have to, I guess, is where that would be mm-hmm. the thing. So just the withdrawing funds, we just got about a minute here, so the withdrawing funds from your assets, your retirement plan, I guess take a look at what's interest and what's principal and what's growth and maybe you can get an idea where you are. The, the, what was the last thing I want to chat about? Oh, no, the adjusting expenses is a laugh. Okay. I, I, <laughs> Going down. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. And anybody, if you have a 6% average return and you're drawing it at five, you're spending your capital whether you know it or not and the capitals go down. By the way, it's okay to spend your capital if it's yours mm-hmm. as long as you die on time. Okay. In terms of running out of money here. Okay. Is that a good segue to, to go to a break, Tim? What do you think? That's a segue. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we'll, we'll be right back with another article, but hey, ha- Hopefully this has been helpful. What you take out depends on a whole lot of things. And by the way, your expenses are the biggest ones. And unfortunately, that's what people don't know much about, their expenses and being able to get a hold of them and track them and carry them. So scary stuff. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. Good morning, and I hope you're having a good day so far. My co-host and sidekick and son-in-law, Kirk Reed, is here today, and we're having some fun batting around some financial media articles here and hopefully trying to make some sense of them. I wanted to take a minute and try to summarize that last, that first half hour of the show here. So here and help me out. If you're taking money from your retirement, folks, the first thing is, You need to know what your expenses are so that you need to know exactly how much you're going to take. Almost nobody listening knows exactly what their expenses are. And for most folks listening, even if you keep it on a spreadsheet, it would still take you a long time to get the exact numbers for that. And and for 100% of the people listening, they don't repeat themselves year after year. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. So number one about taking money out of your retirement plan how much you're going to need might be the, the most important thing. But people don't, they have a fuzzy idea about that. Oh, I'll take this. No. So how much you're going to need is number one. Number two, you probably should have an idea of what your retirement nest egg needs to earn for you to be okay. You probably don't, but you probably should unless you're working with an advisor. And to use the numbers I did first earlier, okay, if you have a return that's that you're taking that's just dividends and interest it's probably about two and a half or three percent today yeah money market rates will change folks don't get nervous about Mm -hmm. that but so bottom line is if you are living on your dividends and interest from your retirement plan withdrawals you are in fat city and going to be just fine and your kids are going to be happy because you're not touching your principal okay if you're eating into the growth of your portfolio to get your income and that's perfectly okay it's your money and your growth okay then your portfolio is it's okay to spend that 
but it's not as guaranteed as just getting the income. And it also means your dividends are going to be less because there's less pay. That's correct. You're going to eat into them over time. Exactly. So if you're hopefully earning 6% and taking 3 or less, you're great. If you're taking 4, things are still fine, but you're going to maybe see a little, you might see it shrink. If you get up to that 6, you're on the line and things could go south fairly quickly. So you, you should have an idea, folks, of what part of the return that you're spending on your money is the dividends and interest and what parts the growth and you'd have to just be careful about that okay it's okay to spend your capital it's yours okay and if you're taking more than your portfolio is potentially earning okay obviously you have to watch that and you might be forced to cut some expenses as opposed to having a choice somewhere down the line. But a lot of folks listening to me do in the 60s and 70s where, you know, we're that generation where we saved and tried to think hard about all that stuff and taking money out and spending your capital is like a foreign language for a whole lot of folks in their 60s and 70s and 80s. It's okay to spend your capital if you need it. You just have to be mindful of when it might run out so that you can go along with your life. That's yeah. All. Okay. I think I'm just uh, like a real life example to go with that. Like I... I've had conversations with clients every once in a while where, you know, they're taking, let's say, let's say based on that $500,000, yeah. let's say that's what they have to draw from, but let's say they're taking 40000 a year. Yeah. Okay. Now that's 8%, right? So they're yeah. taking 8% and, you know, we're telling them, we think on average they can earn six. And so after a few years, they're starting to see, they're looking at the bottom line each year and they're like, oh, it's getting a little bit smaller each year. And what can we do about that? How can we stop that? (laughs) And of course, one one answer is that you can take, not take as much, but that's not, that's not the the answer. That's not the answer. They they need, they know they need that much. A lot of they're living, they're not living extravagant lives. They're living normal slash frugal lives. And that's just, that's what they need. And so one other, one other option as well, you could, you could take on more risk with your investments and try to earn more, but who wants to do that? And, and, and that's not something we would ever recommend. Yeah. And it doesn't help that much as, as much as you would think yeah. anyway. The yeah. real problem yeah. is your expenses yeah. and your spending patterns, yeah. folks. Yeah. So sorry about that. Yeah. So the, yeah. And the, the point about you want to have a high confidence about retirement and the fact that money is not going to run out. Unless you're listening to me with a comprehensive financial plan in place, or you're almost a rocket scientist with math and an engineer or a few other things, most people don't have the wherewithal to be able to do that confidence level thing and make a guess. So that's a plug for a certified financial planner and a comprehensive financial plan where you check that all the time with people who might be a little smarter than you. Okay. All right. So yeah, the bottom line is most people can't live on just their dividends and interest and most people, which means most people didn't save enough to be able to do that. And that's okay. It's just, you got to be careful about that. All right, here's to that point, article number two. So this is, again, a Yahoo Finance article, May of this year, 2023, a fellow by the name of Brian J. O'Connor. Okay, if, if this financial business doesn't work out, I think I might become an, a writer and do some of these things. I think you, you know? would do well. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I'm too brief and cryptic. I'm not exactly, whatever. Anyway, moving along. The alarming retirement mistake too many Americans are making. All right, you ready for this? The very essence of a retirement nest egg lies in the concept of patient growth and compounding of investments over time. Good to go with that, right? Yeah. 
Its purpose is to offer a bountiful reserve of funds when one bids farewell. See, I can't write like this. When one <laughs> bids farewell to the workforce, ensuring a comfortable retirement. However, a disconcerting trend has emerged as a significant portion of younger workers succumb to the temptation of prematurely shattering their nest eggs. Mm. How about that, huh? Okay. That, that number? All right. The result is a tax bill, fines for early withdrawals, lost contributions, and a diminished or vanished account balance likely to come up short at retirement time. We'll discuss the details. Mm. Yep, folks, if you crash your retirement plan for living in the now, for whatever reason, your living in the future just got, took a great big hit, I guess would be the best way to say that. All right, here we go. Let's see. According to a study from UBC Sauter School of Business, don't ask me where that is, more than 41% of workers who are leaving their jobs cashed out their employer-responsored 401k retirement plans early. That's up from a pre-pandemic level when about one of every three departing workers withdrew cash or completely emptied their accounts, okay? There are a number of financial problems with such a move, one of which is because contributions are tax-deferred the withdrawals are treated as ordinary income subject to the worker's marginal tax rate. Translation, you take the money out, you're going to pay taxes on all of it, folks, and they're going to zap you for a 10% penalty more than likely unless you satisfy a few emergency-type related provisions, but you're still going to pay the taxes, basically. Okay. <clears throat> In addition, the Internal Revenue Service takes a second cut, that 10% penalty, for withdrawals made before age 59 and a half. Okay. Workers may also sacrifice some of their 401k employers' match mm. if their account isn't totally vested. So you could take some money out, folks, and all of a sudden, some of it, it isn't It's not there. as much as you thought, was yeah, it? Yeah. How many times have we met folks that we didn't know who took a slug of money out of their retirement plan a bit to deal with a disaster and then found out next April mm -hmm. they had a tax bill and didn't mm -hmm. have money for sort of a thing. I mean, just, oh, wow, okay. Oh, yeah, and another potential drawback from crashing early and workers who take loans against their 401k balances must repay the entire balance before the next federal tax filing deadline. If workers don't repay the balance before then, the remaining loan balance is treated as a distribution and is treated as taxable income. All right, why don't you do a summary so far of what we're talking about here? As far as the, yeah, I guess the 401ks, it's when the first, I guess to go back to the first segment, we talked about how trying to save a good amount so that you can... Most people can't save enough right, so, anyway. So that you can withdraw yep. at a relatively low, low rate to make the money last. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is the other extreme is taking money out and now you don't have this money to grow and compound because you're taking it out way too early. Yeah. Um, this puts you down the bottom of that scale about how you're doing in retirement. Yes. Yep. And you just outlined why all the bad compounding reasons that it does because it's now you don't have these dollars working for you 
And not only are they not there, but you're getting a big haircut by taking the money out early. If you're under 59 and a half and you don't qualify for any of those exclusions, there's 10% coming off going to the federal yeah. uh, government as a penalty. You got to pay taxes on all that money. So if you withhold that, that's another 20% plus or minus, depending on your tax bracket. Yeah. And then it's just the biggest thing is those dollars are not there. They're not there growing for you yeah, and, and compounding. Yeah, and don't, I don't want to lose the thought. Com- compound every, of interest is like the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> Back to that for a moment. It really is. Yeah. Okay. And folks, a lot of folks take loans against their 401ks. We've seen a few people in our lives over the time. They crashed a 401k. Okay. The loan got paid back out of the proceeds in for the sort of smaller dollars, and you just got messed up all the way around, yeah. folks. And that's just the best way to say that. Yeah, loans are loans. That is, they can be a handy feature, right? Yeah. If for somebody in a pinch, yeah. it's as long as you can pay it back yeah. in a timely manner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if not, then it becomes a little bit more of an issue. Yeah, and uh, folks, if you have a chance, Google compounding of interest. As far as we're concerned, it's like the eighth wonder <laughs> of the world. Okay, if you had to save. Uh, and I'll, I won't get n- numerical on this, but if you had to save a million dollars for retirement, by the way, we can come back to target numbers for retirement as well, but if you had to save a million dollars okay, for retirement, okay, if you started at 20, it's a whole lot easier than if you started at 30, mm-hmm. and it's a whole lot easier at 30 than it is at 40. Fo- folks, the shorter time you have, okay, the less your money compounds, the longer. I, I often say, you're better off being young and relatively poor now because you can start saving early enough to work on that compounding snowball. Yeah. But fo- folks, the you know the numbers for investing three hundred dollars a month for ten years and twenty years and thirty years and four they're staggering when you start to look at what you can accumulate. So it's really sad if you have to crash a retirement plan in your younger years because you passed on a whole lot of potential money in retirement. That's, I, I guess you got to do what you got to do in your life if you have emergencies or whatever, but it's just that ain't a pretty place to be, I guess is the best way to say that. And, and one of the things you mentioned earlier too about was sometimes if you take the money out from your 401k yeah. too early is that you don't get all of the company yeah. money or the, yeah. or the company match, yeah. which can be substantial in, in some cases. Yeah. Some And I think a lot of people don't always maybe understand that, yeah. even if, regardless of whether they're leaving the company, but if you're working there, yeah. if the company's willing to put money into your 401k for you, yeah. but you've got to put in some of your own dollars, yeah. please, oh, please make sure you're doing that yeah. at a bare minimum to, to get, because that's just free money that, yeah. that the company's willing to give you. Yeah. And again, there, there are some folks who may have had to crash their existing 401k to do whatever. And they might not start it back up again for a year or two or three or four because you're still trying to recover from whatever situation. Now you're passing on that free money and the mm. compounding of that free money over time. It's just, it just gets a little scary here. Okay, I'm going I'm to change it up a little bit. You might have to put a leash on me if I get okay. going on this okay. one. Okay, I want to be, be I, I might get a little emotional about this, but okay. anyways. <laughs> So, uh, do I have a uh, ten-second button or whatever? Yeah, yeah I won't. Five-second. I button. won't swear or anything, okay. but I, uh, this just ooh, I just get whatever. Uh, anyway, here's the <laughs> uh, a woman with three degrees who owes two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loans at age fifty-nine, 
asked Dave Ramsey, who's a financial guru, supposedly, for help and was told her situation is disturbing, okay? <laughs> so th- there's a financial advisor who does all kinds of stuff on TV. His name is Dave Ramsey. I don't know him personally, never listened to him. Who, but Is he but, writing this article or somebody else writing it? I think somebody else is writing this okay. article, okay? So let me give you the bullets, and then we'll do a little reading here. The bullets are Larhonda from Virginia told Dave Ramsey she was 59 and had over $250,000 of student loans. Bullet number two, she said she was trying to make ends meet with two jobs and wanted the debt to go away. That's okay. And then bullet number three, Ramsey said her situation was disturbing and she had to find a way to make more money. Okay, I'm just going to read the first. Okay, if you're a parent of a high school senior going to college, okay, or if you're somebody who just got into college and you're thinking about majors and work for the rest of your life, please pay attention to what we're going to talk about here. This is a perfect example of how to absolutely shoot yourself in the foot for the rest of your life. It's just, ma- it's just oh, math, right? Oh, okay, it's just, it is disturbing to me and sad. Okay, so a little reading and then I'll try to digress with as less emotion as I can possibly can muster here. A woman in 258000 of student debt called into finance expert Dave Ramsey's show to help her work out a way to pay it off. Oh, yeah, by the way, calling a radio show host on national television or whatever the heck it was, probably not a good way to solve your future's problem, but who knows? Okay, we tell people we don't know. We we have this disclosure before the radio show. The advice we give you is generic. It doesn't apply to you because we don't know you. I'm pretty sure Dave Ramsey didn't know this lady, but anyway, moving along. Okay, Okay, LaHonda says she was 59 years old and lived in Roanoke, Virginia, making around $60,000 a year in her logistics job. I don't even know what that means. She didn't give a second name. She told Ramsey she recently recently looked at her credit report and realized she owed over a quarter of a million dollars. She's 59 years old and recently looked at her Mm. credit report. Not when she was 22, okay, whatever, but good Lord, Ramsey said, what did you study and when? Aha, here it comes. Okay, ready? LaHonda said she had three degrees, which she paid lots of money for. The first was in multidisciplinary studies, okay, criminal justice and religion. That was the the first... I don't know what you do with that. that, Let me read that again. If I'm offending some college administrators, I apologize here, but not much. Okay, so multidisciplinary studies, criminal justice and religion. That was one one degree. That's one degree? One degree. Oh. The second was a master's in accounting. Oh, that sounds pretty good. And the third was a master's of divinity in theology and hermeneutics. I Let me spell this. I can't even pronounce this. H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C-S. Do you know what that is? I don't. Good. Uh, me too. I feel <laughs> I better now. Okay. So she had all... Oh, and on top of these three majors, only one of them make, would make any sense for, from what I'm reading so far... She has also taken on loans for her son's college fees. Okay, so she just checked her credit report and figured out she was in trouble at 59. Has three degrees, two of them which are most likely almost absolutely useless in terms of earning money in your life. Okay. Financially speaking. I, I told you I was yes. going to get them. I'm financially useless <laughs> in supporting yourself and your family. Hard, hard to make an income, uh, maybe. Uh, yep. Okay, th- yep. thank you. I told yep. you I was going to get excited here. Let's see. Uh, la, 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 la. Okay. 
LaHonda appeared. The answer to your question is you have to make more money, he said. You have not monetized your knowledge base very well, okay? I'll stop there. We'll bat this around. we got enough time to do this, okay? So let's see, folks, okay? I have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a PhD in education. And I'm going to start mouthing off about college degrees and what they're not worth and how you should look at them. A really long time ago, I think, people went to college and said, what kind of career do I want to have? And I want to try to prepare for that and support my family and go from there. Many, I'm going to be generic here and try not to offend too many people, but many young kids have these passions and, and that's a wonderful thing. Okay. And then they want to get degrees in their passions. That's a wonderful thing for the quality of your mental life, but it might not be a wonderful thing for the quality of your financial life. Okay. Or I guess my point is that there are to be brutally mathematical and concerned about people financially supporting themselves for the rest of their life, there are some number of degrees that you can achieve in college that would significantly enhance your potential to earn money over the rest of your life and hopefully deliver you a pretty nice life. Now, kids going to college, they've had a pretty nice life, so they don't know what's involved in all that stuff. But anyway, there, there are also a huger... I know that's the wrong word. I don't think a huger so. number of majors that don't lead to much at all in the result of financial remuneration for folks mm-hmm. who have those degrees. Mm-hmm. I think you made up for the huger. With the, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I, whatever. I told you I, I don't want to write professionally. That wouldn't be good. But anyway, so the bottom line is that folks have to drill into your kids' heads because your kids at 17 or 18 don't know about the rest of the... There's probably a small percentage of kids that go to college that are motivated that want to be this, that, and the other thing and actually go through and do that. Mm-hmm. How many 16 or 17 or 18-year-olds know what they want to do for the rest of their I life? I can't imagine the percentages. How about you? What were you doing at 16? You going to be a mechanic or something with yeah, cars? Or yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was considering a priest at one time myself. There, there who, you go. Who knew? Okay. And you don't know what that <laughs> other thing, that thing was on that lady's yeah. list? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> You're correct. Yeah. Okay. But my point is that if you're going to pay some huge bucks for college folks, okay, somehow, and if it's your money, maybe somehow you ought to try to help your kiddo develop a plan for earning some money and being financially independent from you for the rest of your life, a thing, okay? And if if a kid has a passion about this or that or the other thing, okay, minor in that, please, okay, in college, if you like, and continue that. But how about you get a major, okay, that might provide you with some some dollars and some income? See, they don't know the importance of this at 16 or 17 or 18. You might find out later and not be happy about what the decisions that you made. Go ahead, I'm sorry, you well, t- take a minute. <laughs> I, I saw something the other day and I'll, t- and I'll tell you about it that made me think about this. It's just that there, that was, that's been always been the traditional approach yeah. or pathway, yeah. right? You go, you go to high school, then you go to college and then you try to find a job. Yeah. And as the price of college has been continuing to climb. It's stupid. It's becoming, yeah. people are thinking more about it. It's I terrifying. Think, and and yeah. about maybe other avenues, yeah. like a community college yep. or a state school or a trade school or something. And people are, it's becoming more, I think, popular be, just because of the price yep. and, and everything. Yep. And I was, the other day, the, the, the market. market. It's determining that. This is maybe a weird analogy, yeah. but the other night, I think it was last night, or two nights ago, I was watching the NBA draft yep. and they were like, there were all these kids being drafted out of these 
G leagues that like didn't go to college, yeah. and that's so that become that seems to be becoming a new trend. Yeah. So they're not don't go in the traditional route anymore yeah. because there are other ways to get to the same endpoint, yeah. yeah. and people are starting to do that. Yeah. So your point is maybe college all by itself is not appropriate for everybody, and you just might be able to make a few bucks going to some other places, sort of a thing. Right? Uh, yeah. It's and I have a tough time. I guess saying that because because I went to college yeah. and I thought it was a good experience. Yeah. And, and let's but, see, what was your career choice when you were? <laughs> <laughs> That's beside the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was a bio, I was going to be a biology teacher and was for a year or two. Who knew? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but c- c- coming back to that, so folks, please think about this. Okay, if your child has a passion, that's terrific. If you do some research and maybe spend some time with your child about actually expenses and how much it's going to cost for them to either pay off their college loans or live their life, okay, that passion. It has, is reasonably compensating that person for that passion for the rest of their life, and you do the research on that, great. But if that passion doesn't add up to any kind of a life, I could I could name off a bunch of majors, but I won't pick on anybody in particular. But if that, pa- I want to be happy, this is my passion. I want to get out of school and be one of these. If that passion is either high risk that you're never going to happen, I want to be an actress, okay, or that passion is low income in terms of whatever those areas are, maybe you ought to have a plan B, okay, which is actually should be your plan A, and maybe your passion is plan B. It's, f- folks, ask yourself, if you're a parent, Ask yourself, did you go to college? Okay, what was your degree in? Are you actually in a career that involved that degree? I'm not, okay. And are you making money? And what advice would you give to your kids? And okay. I, and I, and again, I don't know that where I read this or where I heard this, but so don't, I can't put too much behind this, don't, but yeah. but I feel like... You're, make, you're not making this up as well. I'm you're not saying. making this up, but <laughs> okay. I feel like it used to be, or at least my understanding was that typically when you would go for a job, a job of certain levels, yep, right? Yep. Basically, they would require you to have a college degree. Yep. That was like a requirement yep. uh, to get into certain certain jobs, certain levels of job. And I feel like I have seen or heard that is changing. They're willing, that has not always a requirement for the types of jobs that used to exist. Yep. And so I think it is changing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I but I don't know. But the rest of the world is hasn't quite caught up yet. Yeah, no, I understand. So I guess point number one is there are a number of all, there are a number of ways you can do a college education. There's also a number of ways that you can not do a college education and make a whole lot of money. Plumbers and electricians, perhaps, for starters, yeah, yeah, or w- yeah. whatever. Yeah. Okay, okay. If your child goes to a college and majors in something that's not going to be financially sufficient for them to be in a decent, even a decent life, what, what are the implications? Don't you, as a parent? Don't you want to do something about that sort of a thing and steer that child in a direction where I don't, I, I really love this. I don't want to do anything else. You got it. You, you don't have a choice about life. Once the kid gets out of college, unless they plan on living with the parents forever, okay, they got to do something and make some money someplace. And that's where the, that's where the yeah, emotional yeah. side takes yeah, over yeah. and people forget about yeah, the finances. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just about right on the time, I think. Huh? What do you think? All right, folks, we'll <laughs> thank you, Tim. We'll be right back. 